is the, uh, the death of Miriam and uh, Miriam's well. Miriam was responsible, apparently, for the well. Now, this is connected to the Psukim. If you look at the Psukim at the beginning of the parasha, or near the beginning of the parasha, that I hear in the, in the first source, Vayavol B'nei Yisrael Kol Ha'edah Midbartzim B'nei Yisrael Kol Ha'edah It's not our topic, but you understand that something here can be clarified. B'nei Yisrael Kol Ha'edah The entire community of Yisrael Came to Midbartzim B'chodesh HaRishon B'chodesh HaRishon B'chodesh Nisan <coughs> and they lived in they were they were camped in a place called Kadesh Miriam died there and she was buried there that's the continuation the next pursuit they didn't have any water now it's not clear that there's a necessary connection between the death of Miriam and the fact that there was no water. But Chazal make that connection. If you look at the Rashi, Miriam. You see, Rashi in the middle of Pasuk Aleph. Lama nismecha parashat mitat Miriam leparashat para aduma. Why is it? that the story of the death of Miriam, which is just three words, comes after Paraduma. Paraduma, the red heifer, that uh, had its own, we call it a chukah, a chok. It doesn't really make much sense. There are mitzvot that don't make sense. There are a lot of them. But Paraduma is an example of a, a, a mitzvah which in essence doesn't make sense because the paradumah, the afer, the dirt of the paradumah, the dust is metaheret atmeim it purifies those that are unclear, clean but it metameet atahorim but the kohen that kind of does works with it he becomes kameh so it's kind of odd that the Tzvayim become Tahor and the Tahorim become Tzvayim, that's a little bit strange. Lama nismecha parashat mitat miriyam the parashat paradimah. Lama to teach you mat korbenot mechaprim af mitat tzadikim mechaperet. Just like the korban is mechaper, atones, so too mitat tzadikim is mechapert. These kind of Rashi's are always very uh, disorienting because what, what is Rashi saying? What is it that, that the reason that this is written or that the order is maintained is that it teaches something that really has nothing to do with the story. It has nothing to do with what's going on. Okay. Now the second Rashi, however, the second Rashi says, Batamakshan Miriam. A kiss from heaven. Just as Aaron HaKohen died B'nishika, so too Miriam died B'nishika. So why doesn't the Torah say so that she died B'nishika? As it says by Aaron, Al-Pi Hashem. P could also mean, mean peh, mouth of. Alpin, in modern Hebrew, means um, in, in, according to, or with the help of, or associated to. So he says, She'ein derech kavod shalmala. It's not the derech kavod for heaven to have kissed a woman. So Aaron did die. And it says it in the Pasuk. So again, uh, Rashi says that Miriam was a great lady, and even though the Torah doesn't say so explicitly, the implicit greatness of Miriam is clear. Now, uh, Remember that Pasuk? Pasuk Beth. There was no water. Miriam died. There's no water. Is there a connection? So Rashi says, 
Rashi says, Mitan, Shekol Arbaim Shana Ayalahem Rabbe'er Bishut Miriam. All the 40 years in the desert, I mean 38 years, 40 years, 40 years, the well, the water, came to them, Bishut Miriam, the merit of Miriam. It was Miriam's well. It was Miriam's well. So now, uh, this idea that it was Miriam's well, I mean, even though I'm not, I don't feel that I have uh, anything to answer for on the level of being for women or against women. I'm usually for women. But what do you mean it was Miriam's well? What if it hadn't been Miriam's well? Would there be a well? I mean, would God have allowed the Jewish people to starve, not to starve, to die of thirst? If it did, there wouldn't be any water? I mean, does that make any sense? No. It doesn't make any sense. I'll answer that question myself. So it doesn't make any sense. So what kind of sense does it make to say that it was Miriam's well? What sort of sense does it make to say that Biskut Miriam, because of Miriam, they had the well? I mean, they would certainly have a well. They would certainly have some way of drinking. I mean, God didn't take them out of the tribe in order that they should all die of thirst in the desert. So that, this is an obvious question, which, of course, no one, I've never heard anybody ask this question, in spite of the fact that it's very, that it's very obvious. So you see, lo yamayin la'itam ikan shekola bin shadna ayalahem ha'be'er b'shut miriyam. Forty years, it was only because of Miriam that they had this well. And what would have happened if Miriam was not there? So they would have certainly had water. I mean, somehow, they would have had something, right? So, so they didn't have... Uh, uh, they got together against Moshe and Aaron. I mean, this is already right after the parasha of Korah. And they, they fought with him. And they argued with him. Are we going to die here? I mean, what did they think? After all, they had a well miraculously. So Miriam died. And that well disappeared. What, wouldn't there be another well? I mean, don't they have any reason to feel protected by the revenge level? They have any reason, I mean, we're not talking about profound religious action. We're talking about something reasonable. And they had a will, and it was a miracle. It was received, it was miraculous. So why shouldn't there be another miraculous well uh, coming up? What, what, what was it that made them so aggravated and so angry. And then the Pasuk, Pasuk David, Lama Hevetev et Kahal Hashem El Amidbar. I said, why did you bring, everything becomes a big deal, you know, it goes back to first principles. Why did you bring this out to the desert? El Amidbar Hazeh, to this desert, Lamut Sham, Anachnu, we're all going to die, will die, and our sheep are going to die. Pasuk hey. Why did you bring us up out of Mitzrayim to this terrible and awful place? I mean, you know why they were in this awful place here, because of the miraculous. That's why they, because of the spies that, that they believed that decided not to go to Eretz Israel. So they're in that, in this terrible place. But how can they use that as an argument against Moshe Rabbeinu? I mean, well, what, sort of, what sort of rationale could there possibly be for B'nai Israel who says, we know we're here in the desert because we did something terrible and therefore God punished us. And the punishment is that we're going to dray around for 38 years in the desert. What they say to Moshe Rabbeinu, when they got to Moshe Rabbeinu, they say, why did you bring us here? He didn't bring them there. They brought themselves there. They're the ones. If not for them, they would have been there in Israel long ago. So what is it exactly? I mean, I mean, what what do they say? And if it's just hakad, why does the Torah have to repeat it for us? 
And then he's saying, Lo mekom zera uteina vegefen virimom. Zera, like seeds. Teina, what are teinim? Dates. Dates? Something like that. Gefen is grapes. And Mimon is pomegranates. What are they talking about? They're in the desert. Because there's nothing growing in the desert. That's what a desert is. It's a place where things don't grow. So what are they what are they arguing about? And then they say, Mayim Eilishtot. Okay. Hang on, Miriam just died. Mayim Eilishtot? There'll be water, just like there was water for the for the last forty years. So there'll be water. Why not be optimistic? So they fell on their faces. And that's what the Torah always says about Moshe Rabbeinu, but he just doesn't seem to know what to do. There's some very profound question hidden here. Some that Moshe Rabbeinu is unable to deal with on the spot. He hasn't got a clue. He, Moshe Rabbeinu, doesn't have a clue as to how he can straighten out the people. What can he do for them? So I'd like to uh, I'd like to mention two comments, actually three, three comments that were made about these problems. First, the Meshachachma. You see, the Meshachachma is right under the parsha. A small reference, right? The Meshachachma uh, under the Rash. Meshachachma, Meshech, Memshinkah, Meir. Simcha Hakore. Right, that was his name. And he was the Ashkenazi Rav in a town called Vince. I always wonder because in Vince there were two Rabbanim. One Ashkenaz and one Hasidic. The Ashkenaz Rav was a Meir Simcha who was considered to be one of the great Tamidei Chachamim of his generation. And the other one, the Hasidic Rav, was the Ravichava, who who had an agonic mind. You know, like uh, it was like fire came out of his head, or something. You know, he was really. Uh, so you have a little town, like a few Jews, and the two rabbinim in this town were the greatest scholars of their age. It would seem that the Jews did not know how to organize themselves properly. They couldn't get these two rabbis better jobs. In fact, the Rabbichover was for many years a charuta of the former Lubavitcher, the Lubavitcher Rebbe. You know, the one who died without making a political statement. So they were chavrutat. They used to write each other is to write each other uh, postcards. You know, you know what postcards are? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I say things I wonder if I'm of a different generation or not. So they used to write postcards to each other. These postcards, many of them exist. And uh, so, in order to, you know, postcards are limited space. Why they wrote up postcards, I don't know. I mean, I could make up something which would make it into a better story, but they used to write up postcards. So they didn't have space. So they didn't write words. They just wrote to each other the first letter of every word that they wanted to write. So just like like a bunch of letters uh, of the alphabet. Each letter was a word. There was not even an abbreviation, because abbreviations usually things that you know about. Like you know it's an abbreviation. They just wrote letters. So these letters that they wrote, they wrote back and forth to each other. I guess they understood. Each understood what the other was saying. So the, the Lubavitcher Rebbe was not in Dvinsk, but he wrote to Rabbi Yosef Rosen, where this was like his, his teacher. And that's what the, how they corresponded on, the, on these postcards, some of which I think had been published. Anyway, the Meshachachma. The Meshachachma wrote commentaries on Shas, and he wrote this famous commentary on the Chumash called Meshachachma. This is what he says. It's just a comment, but it's a, an important one to my mind. <clears throat> he says, Lo zachar zayit 
Shemen Udvash. He didn't mention uh, these Jews who were complaining about the desert. They didn't mention olives, olive oil, Zayat Shemen, and Dvash. Not honey, but uh, the Dvash that comes out of trees, right? You know, the. What? Yeah. Yes. Because of the taste of the oil and the taste of the dvash was included in the man. That is described in the Torah. Whatever tzapichit is, there's, there's also dvash. There's oil, right? There's dvash, and there's oil in the man. For the same reason, when the Meraglim came back to the camp, Eshkol, uh, Eshkol uh, is a uh, bunch, yeah. Cluster. Is there a name for that? Like a, a bunch of grapes, cluster. Oh, maybe a cluster. Is that right? Cluster. Cluster? Yeah. Maybe. He says he says, Rak all they brought back were dates and pomegranates. min They didn't bring back olives or uh or tmarim. pashut. So it's an odd kind of comment. It's like saying they realize that if Eretz Yisrael, if Eretz Yisrael is considered to be blessed by these seven species, right? But some of them they had in the desert. They had a few in the desert. And so they didn't, it was when they ate the man, right? The man, they had certain tastes in the man that were like Eretz Yisrael. So when the Maraglin came back, or when these people talked about what they're missing, they talked about what they didn't have in the man, what was not part of eating the man. So that uh, for the Meshachokma, there is this kind of awareness that they had, that they were on the way to Eretz Yisrael, but they were not quite there. They hadn't really gotten to Eretz Yisrael. That's the Meshachokma. Now I want to tell you, I want to look at the Ramban. You see the Ramban printed on the page, it's next to Rashi, to the left of Rashi. And I want to start on the seventh line by Dr. Abutani. You see the seventh line? This is the Ramban. There's a very long Ramban that talks about, uh, tries to explain what Moshe did and why there was a sin. That he hit the rock, he started speaking to the rock, and all of this, all, all of this. At the end of that very long Ramban, at the end, the Ramban says the following. Aldat Rabotein says, I want to tell you what the Chachamim thought. Bebe'inashel Miriam amru ki ha-sela ha-zeru atzur asher ayyad The Sela, God said to Moshe Rabbeinu, go to this rock, right? Talk to the rock. He took the staff with him, he hit the rock. But what is that rock? What is that rock the Rabban says? What do you mean, Amir, a rock? I mean, why was this rock different than the other rocks? Why did God say to, say to Moshe Rabbeinu, go and, and, and go to talk to this rock? Why not some other rock? What difference does make what rock he talked to? So the Rabban says, the Rabban says this, It's a rock from Chorev. Chorev is Har Sinai. It's a Sinai Rock. Right? That the word Meimav, its waters, that this rock always gave water. It's a rock that gave water. So that, that Miriam. Miriam's rock was the Be'er. Or the rock was the Be'er, the well of Miriam. And the well of Miriam always gave, the well of Miriam always gave water. 
But when she died, the rat was like not feeling so good. So it stopped giving, it stopped giving water. So Moshe Rabbeinu went over to the rock and gave the rock a whack. And then he says, What the Chachamim meant to say was, It wasn't Miriam who invented this rock. It wasn't Miriam who invented the well, but the well of Miriam. But it was always there. This well was always there in the world. The Rabbah, the Rabban says this. He says, and, and it will give water anytime. That the will of the people kind of devolves upon it. It's ready to give water. What does it need? It needs somebody who wants the water. It needs somebody who wants to, to take the water. So we know that when Yishmael was kicked out of Adam Abinah's house, he went with his mother, he was dying of thirst until somehow the water was better. That's the same well, he says the Rambach. And in Choreb and Har Sinai, it also came out of the out of the rock. And wherever they went, it came out of the rock, wherever they happened to be. So that that the well of Miriam was not just Miriam's well, but it was a well. That was miraculous because it was a stone that gave water. But it wouldn't give water unless there was someone who demanded the water. Someone who deserved the water. And that was Miriam's job throughout all the trials and tribulations of the Jews in the desert. She was always able to provide them with water. It wasn't her water. It wasn't her well. But it was a stone that gave water upon certain kind of demands. And then he says, When this righteous woman died, it stopped giving water. What stopped giving water? The stone. The stone stopped giving water. And, and, Okay. So the Ramban, the Ramban says something totally new, I think. New to me, probably new to you. He says it's not that there was a well that Miriam was in charge of, and when she died, that well disappeared. It was rather that there was this miraculous stone that gave forth war. And when Miriam died, there was no one to ask about it. There was no one to demand the water. Baruch Hu said to Moshe Rabbeinu, now you do it. You go to the rock and speak to the rock. What do you mean speak to the rock? Why should he speak to a rock? I mean, that's a waste of time. As Moshe Rabbeinu seems to have thought. He says, speak to, the, speak to the rock and demand water. That's what the rock is there for. Here's the rock right here. The same rock that Miriam used, or the same rock that gave water to Miriam. So the Ramban says, he says, now you understand what was going on. Why did HaKadosh Baruch say to Moshe Rabbeinu, go to the cellar, go to that rock? Because that was the rock that gave the water during the time of Miriam Miriam's life. And now somebody else had to be responsible for getting the water. When were the previous times that this water was was received? Oh, he says, oh, the water was received <coughs> in the time of Yishmael, the time of Chorev. And now, right, the water is going to be, the water is going to be received because of Moshe Rabbein. Because of Moshe Rabbein. Why Moshe Rabbein hit the rock instead of uh, uh, speaking to the rock is something that the Ramban will also explain, but it's not of our concern at the moment. Right? Not our concern at the moment.
So that's the Ramban. The Ramban has a different idea about what was going on and what the seller was and why HaKadosh Baruch said to Moshe Rabbeinu, speak to the seller. All he would have had to do was speak. Because once there is a demand, once there is a demand from the side of worthy, a worthy person, the seller will give forth, will give forth the word. And even though Yishmael may not have been so deserving, nevertheless, it would not have been reasonable for Yishmael to die as a result of what Avram Avinu did. So that the seller was committed to saving, to saving Yishmael. Okay, so now we're up to the, uh, the last source. We're up to the last source. The last source is from a book called Igor the Kalo, which I happen to have right here in front of me. Igor the Kalo is written by uh, the author of the Bnei Sotzcha. Yes? The name of the author of the Bnei Sotzcha is a famous uh, Hasidic work which goes by months. It discusses month by month the Jewish year. And it's, uh, you know, full of Kabbalistic references and Hasidic references. The name of the author of the book, B'nai Yisachar, was Sri Eli Melech Shapira of Dinov. One of his last uh, positions was as the Rav in Dinov. Sri Eli Melech Shapira of Dinov. Now, he was a very remarkable author. He wrote many Svarim on different Kabbalistic topics and always exhibited tremendous knowledge. He died around 1848, maybe 1846, when he died. And he, had, he left an imprint on the uh, on Hasidic literature that is quite, uh, quite profound for the more intellectually uh, uh, attuned. Like, if you're interested in trying to figure things out, He's very good. So he wrote a book of Parshat Shavua called Igro de Kalo. And I'm, going to, I'm quoting this last uh, uh, source, which will help us to understand that you can look at everything in a totally different way. It is, you know, in the Igro de Kalo. So if you look at the last source on the page, and then we'll try to put it together. Why did you bring us here to die? This is the Igor the Kav. The Bnei Sotzchon. The Bnei Sotzchon. You know there's a minog. You know there's this funny thing about the name Yisachar. Yisachar. We say it Yisachar. But in the Torah, it's always written Yud Sin Sin. Kavresh. For some for some odd reason. I'm with the Bagesh as well. Well, yeah. Well, we'll get to that. Yisachar. It's written, it's, it's vocalized as though there were one, there's only one sin. But it's written with two sins. Yud, sin, sin, kaprish. Mm-hmm. Now, now there's a minhad amongst Baalei Korem, Baalei Kriyat, that the first time the name Yisachar is mentioned in the Torah. The Baal Koreh reads Yisachar. Are you with me? Yeah. In other words, it's, it's like you can miss it, but if you're in Shul and you listen carefully to the Pasha of Yitzchak, uh, when he gets his name, the Baal Koreh might read Yisachar. Now, for some reason, the book is always called B'nai Sotzcha. Even though it's written, in other words, he was, the Chosen Milublin said that he was from the tribe, that he, Ratziel Melchandinov, was from the tribe of Yisotcha. How he knew that, I have no idea. But, uh, but the, he named the book B'nai Sotcha, and everybody calls it because it's the first time, it's the name. It's the first time he was named, I guess. And everybody calls it the Bnei Soschor. There you have it. Another curiosity of which we are filled. Here's the Bnei Soschor. Yesh the Dachtek. 
למה כינו לעצמם בכאן קהל השם? יסי דפסוק, ולמה הבאתם את קהל השם? Why they call themselves קהל השם? Right, the community of God. When they talk about water, Moshe Abedin knows who they are. Why, why should they call themselves? And they didn't, this is not used, this, this uh, combination of words not used any place in the Torah except here. They call themselves Kahal Hashem. There's no other place. That's the second question. You know these, these, these Hasidim, they, they were right on top of it. Look at the Pasuk again. It says, Ela Bitbar Hazeh. You see the word, what does the word Zed mean? What does the word Zed? Zed. Zed is pointing. It's called, it's called in fancy English, a dectic particle. Like a particle that points to something. Not here. It's not here. When you say Hazeh, you mean it's not right next to me. It's over there. So the the Igor the Kama says, what do you mean? I mean by Hazeh. They're in the desert, they're standing there. Why 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 say Hazeh? Then he says, Hello, Sham Hayun, they were there. Maybe it means that we're going to die here. Lamutcha. Lamutcha. So that we're going to, they'll be dying there, just like we die, maybe they'll die, our enemies. So there he says, I'd like to know what the Pasuk has said. There too many words, and I got me mixed up. What's the simple pshat? And I have to introduce my answer with the following statement. Oh. Now I get it. Listen. Hadabar cloud. You see, I'm in the one, two, three, fourth line. I want to tell you something. So this was like a, 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 an idea that Kabbalists had about Galut, about exile. They understood that the exile of Am Yisrael from Eretz Yisrael into the rest of the world, that that exile was in fact a punishment. They were being punished. They had to move from place to place. They suffered uh, uh, all sorts of uh, insulting situations and difficult situations. So it was a punishment. However, however, they said to themselves, these capitalists, they said, but, but they could have been punished staying still. They didn't have to be in exile to be punished. They could have stayed there at Israel. And God could have made them miserable. I mean, why do they have to go to Hutzlars? Why do they have to be miserable in the various countries in the world? They could be miserable at home. So this is like the question that they asked. And the answer that they gave was, because we have something to do in the places to which we are exiled. That it's true that exile is a punishment. That it's true that we're going to suffer. And it's all true. Everything is true. But there's also something positive that can come of it. And that positive thing is, right? Sparks. must have heard these words. Sparks, right? You never went to a Chabad talk or something. Sparks. You know what sparks are? It's good. Sparks are good things. But there are sparks, but sparks, they come and they go. It's hard to grab onto a spark. You get a little bird, but it's hard to, it's hard to get a spark. But there are sparks all over. And, and he says, the ones that are pushed aside, 
Habishukaot that are buried deeply betoch inkei a klipot. Klipot, a klipa is a, a rind, like an apple rind, something you throw away, a, a shell, a klipa, something that's no good. So that by being, by Am Yisrael being in the diaspora, suddenly all of these people out there, they want to connect to them. They want their sparks to connect to them. They want to be able to shed their, their, their useless shells and, and containers. Right? He says, you see what, what happens? The men Israel, they have this part of them that is that is not available. You, you can't get to them. I mean they're they're, they're with God, the Ne Israel, but there's another part of the Ne Israel. They eat and they sleep and they do regular things, and all of those things make it possible. For the for the the people with the nitzotzot out in the world to connect to Am Yisrael, maalim am nitzotzah mishukah betocha davar hamigushav. So they bring up the spark, which is migushav. It's it's a migushav. What actual actualized? No, migushav means physical. It's like a physical thing. It's it's embodied. Uh, in other words, in in the physicality of the other people in the world, there is a spark, but that spark can't get out. It can't can't make itself felt because there's too much covering it up. But Am Yisrael, they attract these sparks. You know they. They make Kiddushah. They make Kiddushah, the Rabbah says. The Rabbah says about Christianity and Islam. He said, you know, Christianity and Islam, they didn't, we didn't have time to do it. I mean, everybody, if all the Jews are learning Torah, what are you going to do, go around and, and, and convert Tatanats? We haven't had time for that. So we had, like, agents. You know, Christianity, Islam. They, they are agents. I mean, it all goes back to it all goes back to the Torah, and it goes back to the message of the Torah. And so, uh, it changed the world, right? The message changed the world, but we didn't have to do it. It was enough that people were attracted to the ideas because we were around. We were there someplace. So we said, monotheism, so everybody got a little nervous. I know, I mean, we better also be monotheists of some sort or another. I'm not, not talking about Catholicism. I don't know about that. So anyway, so he says, Mitzasodah mitzusarot v'ni nechot l'sham v'achakach, so I'm on line 2, 4, 6, 8, 9. V'achakach otziyam l'midbar v'otziyam l'itzotzim Desert. The the Pirkei the Rabbah also says that the desert is uncreated. It's the place in the world where all kinds of terrible things can go on because it's not really created. Nothing grows there. You can't live there. I mean today, don't tell me about today. But in those days, you couldn't live there. You couldn't grow anything there. That was the that was the midbar. So God took them into the midbar. midbar to, to, to get the sparks out of the midbar and to convert the midbar into a place where they could be kedushat sanctity. So, he says, you know why they're in the Midbar? You know why the Torah was given in the Midbar? I mean, this is a thing that don't make any sense. Why should the Torah be given in Harabariya? Why shouldn't the Torah be given in the place that Abraham Abinu was supposed to sacrifice his son? Why not give it in the place where the Beit HaMikdash is going to be built? Why give the Torah in no place? Nobody's the Rabbah. The Beit already talks about how 
The Torah was given no place. The Raya, the Raya, you can't find it. You don't know where it is. Ask anybody. Ask anybody. There are two uh, monasteries in the Sinai Desert, one's in, one in the north and one in the south, both of which claim that that's, they are the place where the Torah was given. So that means, according to Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar, we don't know where the Torah is given. So if we don't know where the Torah was given, what are we doing there? What are we doing in the desert? So this is the first act that Am Yisrael had to do was somehow to return the desert to creation. Make the desert into a place where you could live, where there could be Kedusha, sanctity. That's what B'nai Yisrael are doing. Right? So now, let's, let's, I'm sorry, I need to insult. Yeah, I'm online. Two, four, six, eight, ten. First word, I need so sin. The sparks, I need the chot alidei sodot ha-Torah. That it's the secret ideas of the Torah that bring out the sparks in things. She'esidu yoter mikol ha-Torah. Ki'aya ha-Kanak gidola. There was this long preparation. L'izdakech ha-Chomer. To purify the physical, lehasig asodot al yedei shtiyat beirachal miriam kayadua. So beirachal miriam, the water of miriam. You remember Yaakov Avinu, right? He came to the well. He pick up the well, and the well was the, the idea of Torah, the water coming out was the Torah that was coming out. So Be'irash Miriam is not just water, but it's Be'irash Miriam. And Miriam is the one who was a prophetess, and she brought this water into Amis. It wasn't water. It was, it was, it was Nibayot water. It was special water. It was water that everybody knew would make, would make a difference. Be'kashem da Marisa. So you know the story that the Arizal, the Arizal, right in Sfat, in the Sud, in the, in the, in the 15th, 1500s, he had a Talmud, his great student was named Chaim Vital, and he gave him water to drink. And we got water. He must have got the Haifa. And they gave him water to drink. And he said, This is the well. This is Miriam's well. The Kashem Naldame Arizal Sheshka. The Talmido Haifitav Mikvarajabiyam from a trap in the sea. Shehibe Rasha Miriam Bafilbe Motakaskula. Even the animals had appreciated. The fact that they drank from this well, Shishatun Abe'er, Bacharkach, Ayu Anashim Ochlim Me'abasar, Azayel Itzotza Kadosha, Yamishuka, Bebarchai, Mitosef Al Mishmatam, Machmat, Izdakikut, Abarchai. So even the living animals were somehow supported by this, uh, by this bear of Miriam and the well. So what is it that the Agur, the Kala, is trying to explain to us. He's saying, this idea that there was no water and that somehow Miriam was responsible for water refers to an overriding obligation that Am Yisrael had to spread the notion that there could be Kedusha in the world, sanctity in the world. In spite of the fact that we have to pay homage to our physical selves. We have to eat, we have to sleep, we have to live, we have to, we have to do all the things that we have to do in order to care for ourselves and our bodies. Nevertheless, there is this idea that the world can be a world of sanctity. And that world of sanctity, that world of sanctity is generated by Am Yisrael. One of the jobs that we have is to generate is to generate that world of, of, uh, of sanctity. And so the well that Miriam was responsible for, after all, she was the one who watched out for Moshe Rabbeinu when he was floating in the, in the river. 
and she saved him. So she has some kind of special connection to the water. And so she was chosen, she was chosen by God to enable the water to be that side of, uh, of uh, the superior way of living that Ab Yisrael was committed to. So after Miriam died, they had to find a replacement, and that's what the Ramban explains to us. That replacement was Moshe Rabbeinu and HaKadosh Baruch pointed to the stone that Miriam knew about, which was in turn the source, the source of, of the water. So the, the Igra, the Igra the Kala, the Igra the Kala says this, when Miriam died, she had to be replaced. Not so much for the water. The water would have come on its own, but the Be'er of Miriam was the well of knowledge. There was some information there that was very, very significant. And that information was going to help to turn the people from uh, the people of, the people all over the world and in the desert from uh, disrespectful, uh, unable to achieve the different levels of Kedusha the desert remaining an unfulfilled and uncreated place, but the Yisrael would be able through the well to change the desert from a, from that kind of a place to a different kind of a place. And so that as they are on their way to Eretz Yisrael, and they know they're on their way to Eretz Yisrael, as the Meshach Chochma said, because the taste of Eretz Yisrael was in the man. Remember that the Meshach Hoffman said that the taste of Eretz Yisrael was in the mind. So even though they were on their way to Eretz Yisrael, that they knew that they were on their way. That's what, what the people say, that, that we, didn't, we, didn't, we don't have this and we don't have that. And like we're talking about Eretz Yisrael. Nevertheless, with the well of Miriam, we have a purpose. Even though we're drained around as a punishment, and you might think that we're not doing anything. We're just like passing the time and waiting for everybody to die. But no, that's not the case. We also have a purpose. We also, on the way to Eretz Yisrael, have discovered a purpose. And it's true that according to the Igor the Kalo, that purpose was discovered by the Jews in the desert, but maintained by the Jews throughout all the generations. So the Jews in all the diasporas could say about themselves, we have something to do. There's something important that we have to uh, and we have to give over to the people that we come into contact with. And that's what the Rambam said about Islam and Christianity, that somehow they became our agents for spreading the word up to a point about about monotheism, about God creating the world and controlling the world. And, and, and even the Catholics, who have some strange ideas, all claim about themselves that they are monotheists. I mean, nobody thinks that they are not monotheists. They're like, we might think that they're not, but they think that they are. So, so the, the, the well of Miriam, the well of Miriam was connected to Miriam, was connected to Eretz Yisrael, was connected to the Galuyot, to the exiles in the, in the, all the exiles in the future. You remember that when Yaakov Avinu went into Chutzlart, I mentioned it, when he went to Chutzlart, to the house of Lavan, the first thing he did was meet uh, Rachel with the sheep, and he helped take the boulder off the well. It was, there was water, but you couldn't get at it. Uh, it was only Yaakov Avinu that could get at the water. The water is traditionally, traditionally a, a, a powerful metaphor for Torah, because uh, because uh, maybe because water doesn't have a shape. You put it into a container, whatever container you put in, that's the shape of the water. And Torah also doesn't have a shape until you learn it, until you become part of it. It's not something that's there. That's the difference in Torah Shabbat, Torah Shabbat. Torah Shabbat has a shape. Right, the Torah that you read on Shabbos morning it has a shape. I mean, it has words, it has letters. I mean, that's what it is. But Torah Shmuel Pen doesn't exist unless you learn it. I mean, I know you could spend a lot of money on a Shabbos, Shabbos, but it really doesn't exist 
it's it's only fair to put his name on it. But the 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 Torah Shabbat Peh is like the water. It it takes upon the it takes the shape that you give it. Whatever you learn, I mean, that's what it is. That's why different people can learn the same Gemara, the same give a shear, and the shear are not necessarily the same. They're all good, but they're not the same because the shape it's like water in that way. The water is shaped by the container, and the Torah is shaped by the by the people who learn the Torah, and the interaction between the people who learn the Torah and the other people. It's one where the other people who have the Nitzot and the Klipot are attracted to the idea that there could be Kedusha in the world. That not everybody gets it right all the time, but this idea that there is a job to be done in the world of the diaspora, this is an idea that exists, uh, that exists very powerfully in the Kabbalah. And, and of course in Chassidut, you know, Chassidut is a a way of presenting Kabbalah to the uninitiated. Like, you don't have to be, know the technical language so well. And you could still sort of get a hold of it. They were, they were masters at that, uh, at that enterprise. So, Miriam died, and Miriam's uh, uh, work was continued. Moshe Rabbeinu was directed by Tony to go to the cellar, the very same cellar, and to show that the water would continue to come out. And you know that at the end of the parasha of Chukat, Moshe Rabbeinu and Beneso meet up with Edom, and then Moab, and then Sichon, and they had to make choices about how to interact, right, with, uh, with Edom. Edom said, you can't go, you can't go here, they left. They apparently knew that they couldn't have an effect but when they came to Sichon, they went to war against against Sichon. So that in the diaspora, in the situation, you have to know what to do. You have to know when to fight. You have to know when to retreat. Uh, this is something that uh, even in Israel might be a good idea for us to learn. Okay, have a good Shabbos. Thank you.